This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee, where number crunchers at the health department keep cranking out the dismal news. Florida set a new record for coronavirus cases on Friday. We broke that record on Saturday, and it was almost as bad on Sunday. Since Friday, the state has reported more than 27,000 new cases of COVID-19. For context, just consider this. Almost 20% of all the cases reported in Florida over the past three months happened over the last three days. But the governor says it's not because Florida reopened too soon. We knew that there would be more cases as people go about their business. That's just the nature of it. I think most of the transmission we're seeing is not because their people are going to work. It's because they're being social. 258 new deaths were also reported over the past week. That brings the total number of Florida fatalities to 3,518. Time is running out for the governor to sign the new state budget, and the coronavirus is making his job a lot tougher. State tax collections dropped by almost $800 million in May alone because of the pandemic. Things are getting nasty in the GOP primary for Senate District 27. The Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee has begun attacking a fellow Republican because they think she's been playing footsie with the Democrats. Planned Parenthood's favorite politician? Nope, not Nancy Pelosi, Heather Fitzenhagen. Today on the Sunrise Soapbox, you'll hear from the president of the Florida Chamber of Commerce, who says business leaders need to embrace the calls for change coming from the Black Lives Matter movement. Mark Wilson says this is their chance to make a difference in Florida's poorest communities. Thankfully, there is a long overdue conversation going on in our country at the national, state and and local level about social justice and the inequality of opportunity that has existed in our country for far too long. And what better time to have a baby than the middle of a campaign for Congress in the midst of a public health crisis? Congratulations to Dane and Brooke Eagle on the birth of their son, Ronan. We'll also have your calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man accused of trying to steal an airplane for a cross-country visit to his girlfriend. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, June 29th. As COVID-19 surges through the Sunshine State, Governor Ron DeSantis points a finger of blame at young adults, saying they're ignoring his guidelines on social distancing and the use of face masks. Here's what we've been seeing in terms of uh, the, the, the cases that are coming in. And I know there's a lot of discussion about a oh, number of cases and all this. And uh, while the number of cases is, uh, is something that, that you look at, um, you know, what we've always looked at is the, the positivity rate. Uh, that positivity increase is really being driven uh, by uh, a big increase over the last three weeks in uh, individuals testing positive throughout the state of Florida in younger age groups, particularly 18 uh, to 44. And that's something that's pretty new. Now, part of it was we weren't really looking for cases in those age groups uh, when we were doing this in March and April because they're much less likely to, to see significant clinical outcomes, much less, less likely to be hospitalized, and, and way, way less likely uh, to, uh, to, to suffer a fatality. And so you're seeing it in those groups who are less at risk, uh, but you're seeing them test positive at much higher rates. And we're seeing it all across in the different areas of the state. This is the one kind of consistent thing. This is something that we're seeing you know, over and over. And, and basically, I think from talking to folks, this is uh, basically socializing. Uh, you know, you have graduation parties, you know, you're going out, you're doing different things. Um, and in certain environments, you know, that's going to be uh, conducive to transmitting the virus. So that's where we are. I think the, the, the increased cases 
um, are being driven, a, a lot of it because you are seeing much more spread amongst the, the younger demographic. Uh, I think that that positivity rate, we'd like to turn that and get that going in a, in a downward direction. Um, we are testing a lot more, and so part of this is you're testing in areas you wouldn't have been testing before, particularly in, in that 18 to 34 demographic. Uh, but it's important to identify who may be carrying this uh, so that even if they aren't uh, significantly ill from this, uh, that they don't pass it to somebody else. Some of the recent outbreaks have been traced to parties at overcrowded pubs that ignored social distancing. So the Department of Business and professional regulation has ordered all the bars that just reopened during phase two of the recovery to close down again. The governor says you can take it home with you, but you can't drink at the bar. Well, you, you can't control those. I mean, like, that's, like, they're younger people. I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do. And I think the, the, the pubs was mostly just a matter of administration. There was no uh, way to ensure compliance because it was so widespread non-compliant that um, that the secretary took the action they did and I, I said you know, do what you got to do um, to, to ensure compliance so my view is you know we want people to be able to, to operate um, in, a, in an environment that minimizes risk and so the guidelines that were put out basically treated those uh, entities similar to a restaurant where you have limitations on capacity and social distancing enforced inside inside the inside the establishment uh, for for those entities unfortunately there was just widespread noncompliance and so my my agency you know is trying to figure out a, a way forward but uh, you, you you had so many examples uh, where those guidelines were just tossed aside and in the instances where we've seen outbreaks tied to establishments like that it has invariably been because they packed so many people in and created the type of environment that we're trying to avoid. And so uh, when folks have followed the guidelines, uh, you haven't had problems. Uh, and I think most of the restaurants have done a really, really good job. Obviously, we've had people out and about the whole time in grocery stores and other things. So we know it can be done safely if you have the proper precautions. Those were situations in which um, you know caution, I think, was thrown to the wind. And um, so we are where we are on it. But I, I do think people should be able to operate operate, uh, but you got to do it uh, in, in a way that's minimizing risk. And that's a easy example. I think um, a lot of the testing when you find the young people, it's like they go to parties and then some of them do go to some of these establishments. So, you know, we just want to, we want to minimize that. I think that will be very helpful for us. And again, like for, for a lot of the younger people, uh, you know, they may be at, at lower risk, um, but particularly if they live in multi-generational housing, you know, that's a risk that could be brought home uh, to folks who, who may not be so lucky. But when asked if the rise in COVID cases is the result of trying to reopen the state too soon, DeSantis said no. He says the safety guidelines issued by his office and the health department would have worked just fine if people had followed them. Well, no, we're, we're in good shape in terms of what we're doing. Remember, the best testing results we had in Florida throughout the whole pandemic was during our phase one reopening. Uh, from the beginning of May through that first week of June, you had, and the cases, as I said, are one thing, but we know there's more infections out there. The cases were steady and, and, and relatively low for state our size, but the positivity was low, 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 low. So I don't really view those two as linked. I don't think it was because of the reopening that we had low positivity and low cases. Just like now, I don't think you can say because of May, all of a sudden we're seeing cases now. So I don't necessarily think we knew that there would be more cases as people go about their business. That's just the nature of it. I think most of the transmission we're seeing is not because their people are going to work, it's because they're being social. The governor's guidelines call for social distancing, but if you can't do that, he recommends the use of a protective mask. Dr. Larry Antonucci with the Lee Health System in Fort Myers says it's common sense. 
So we are really trying to drive home the message of uh, social distancing and mask wearing. You know, this community had incredible resolve early on, and we were able to flatten the curve in a very dramatic way. Um, but I think we're getting complacent. As I go around the community, I see a lot of people not wearing masks. And although you may be 25 and feel that you're bulletproof, uh, you have parents and grandparents, and I bet you know someone who is overweight or diabetic or has heart disease or has lung disease, and they are at risk. And uh, the fact of the matter is uh, you're going to put them at risk. So we really are trying to deliver a message, trying to get to the hearts and minds of the people in this community of why it's important to wear a mask. And if you're not wearing a mask, tell us why. Uh, we want to know why you're not. Because for us, it's about really putting resources towards education uh, to the public to let them know why it is important and how we can make a difference. And as we see this, this increase right now, we can flatten it again just like we did it before. But it's going to take effort. It's going to take the community to rally around this effort um, and do this. So that's my message to the public today is please wear a mask when you're in a crowded area. Practice social distancing, good hand hygiene, all the things we've been talking about for uh, four months now. But remember one thing about the governor's guidelines. They are only a suggestion. DeSantis is still refusing to issue any sort of mandatory mask order. You know, to do police and put criminal penalties on that um, is something that is um, is probably going to would, would backfire. Uh, you have seen some localities require it, and you know they're going to have to figure out how they're going to use kind of the long arm of the law to enforce it or not. Um, a lot of businesses will you know will require it when you're going in, um, and that's fine um, as well. But uh, you know, a lot of what we're seeing, I think, with like the younger people. You know, if they're partying at somebody's house or something, you know, they're probably not wearing masks. I mean, let's just be let's just be honest with that. And so, you know, you really would need to, um, you know, to change the behavior there, which I think would be great. Uh, but at the same time, it's a little bit different. I think the businesses have done a good job uh, when people come in, creating a safe environment. And I think a lot of customers are going to want to see that, uh, so they have every incentive to want to do it. So, you know, we're going to continue to put out uh, the the messaging. We're going to continue to put out. Uh, the guidance, um, and we're going to trust people to make good decisions. The COVID crisis continues to gnaw on the state budget. Florida tax collections were $780 million under the original estimate in May. Combine that with the $878 million shortfall from April, and, well, you get the picture. The bean counters in Tallahassee say a large part of this loss is attributed to declines in the tourism and hospitality-related industries. However, the impact was widespread. In fact, the only category that actually approved in April was construction. The report was released as the governor's about to slash hundreds of millions of dollars on the new state budget that takes effect on July 1st. The GOP establishment in the Florida Senate declares war on a fellow Republican. Representative Heather Fitzenhagen of Fort Myers is running for the Senate seat in District 27, but the Florida Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee is running this ad in her district accusing Fitzenhagen of being an undercover liberal. Planned Parenthood's favorite politician? Nope, not Nancy Pelosi, Heather Fitzenhagen. She supports young girls having abortions without their parents knowing. She even supports late-term abortions. But that's not all. Benefits for illegal immigrants, in-state tuition, driver's licenses, even a license to practice law. Fitzenhagen turned her back on President Trump, refusing to ban sanctuary cities. Liberal Heather Fitzenhagen, she's Planned Parenthood's favorite politician. It's a rare day when a party goes after one of its own, but they're afraid this could tip the balance of power in the state Senate. Democrats only need a few more seats to take control. GOP leaders have endorsed Ray Rodriguez for the Senate seat, and they're afraid Fitzenhagen won't be loyal to them if she's elected. And would anyone blame her, given the attack ad from her own party? 
Congratulations to State Representative Dane Eagle and his wife, Brooke, who are the proud parents of a brand-new baby boy. His name is Ronin, which is a word to describe a samurai without a lord or master during the feudal period of Japan. Eagle's one of nine Republicans running in the GOP primary for the District 19 seat now held by Congressman Francis Rooney, who's decided not to run for re-election. Eagle took a few days off the campaign trail for the birth of his first kid, but he'll be back at it later today with a fundraiser in Fort Myers. When Americans took to the streets to protest police violence after the killing of George Floyd, a lot of business owners feared the worst. But the folks at the Florida Chamber of Commerce believe this is a chance to correct past injustices and bring economic opportunities to some of the poorest neighborhoods in the Sunshine State. Next up, you'll hear from Chamber President Mark Wilson about the Florida Prosperity Initiative. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast, and we are much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN Plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the OPEN Plan today at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. In the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement, the head of the Florida Chamber of Commerce says it's time for corporate America to get serious about correcting racial injustice in the workplace and in society. Mark Wilson is president and CEO of the Florida Chamber, and he's urging business leaders to respond to the protest by embracing the opportunity for meaningful change. The Florida Chamber Foundation has already created what they call the Prosperity Initiative to focus on the poorest areas in the state, and Wilson says this is their chance to prove capitalism can be a force for good. There is, thankfully, there is a long overdue conversation going on in our country at the national, state, and and local level about social justice and the inequality of opportunity that has existed in our country for far too long. And the Florida Chambers Board and I are, are not willing to let this opportunity pass by without Florida showing America, you know, how we're actually going to unite together and work Uh, forward to this. I mentioned this, um, the inequality of opportunity that's been going on in the United States for a long time. Most of you know, if you've been part of the Florida Chamber, most of you know that five years ago, together with uh, former Speaker of the House, Will Weatherford, who's on the Florida Chamber's board, we announced that we were launching a long-term effort uh, to end generational poverty in every zip code in Florida. And uh, over the last five years, we've not only had annual summits, we've been working with the team at the Federal Reserve, we've been working with local governments and local chambers, the United Way and everybody in between, to really bring focus to what can the private sector do to end inequality of opportunity in every zip code, regardless of of race or gender or where someone was born or, or whether it's generational poverty or situational poverty or everything in between. The Florida Chamber will be taking the lead or continue to take the lead in Florida, and we'll be announcing a five-part statewide webinar series that we hope every business in Florida participates in. We're going to look at the zip code level, the root causes of poverty, and also what can every business in Florida do to help be part of the solution here to social justice, to racial inequality, and to the inequality of opportunity. So In terms of what's going on in Florida relative to prosperity, uh, keep in mind we have about 870,000 kids in Florida who live in poverty. That's 21% of our kids in Florida live in poverty. And our goal by 2030 is to cut that number in half. 
we have 983 zip codes. If you were to heat map where our kids in poverty live, what you would find is half of our kids in poverty in Florida live in only 15% of our zip codes. So obviously there's a business community focus. We can make a huge dent over the next 10 years. Um, and we've already got a five year head start. In terms of racial inequality uh, that's happening within these 150 zip codes, the, the numbers are very stark. We've been talking about this for years um, and Florida's numbers really point us in the direction that there's, a, there's an opportunity for collective action using the zip code level platform that we have. And when you look at the top 150 zip codes in Florida, there is massive gains and improvements that we can make and it's our number one priority. And I hope you'll tune in to these five, uh, these five, uh, this five part webinar series that we'll be having. There'll be a lot of big names uh, on, these, on the webinar series, but more importantly than the names and personalities is I'm asking your business to adopt the zip code. I'm asking every company in Florida to learn about what's happening with inequality in your own zip code and to do what we can in the business community to unite together some of the stats collected by the chamber are profoundly disturbing. More than 900,000 of Florida's kids live in poverty. More than 3 million Floridians are on food stamps. More than 50% of Florida students are eligible for free or reduced price meals at school. And more than 40,000 students between pre-K and fifth grade are homeless. The first of the five virtual events is on July 22nd. If you'd like more information, Michael Williams is director of the Prosperity Initiative. His email is mwilliams at flfoundation.org, or you can call him the old-fashioned way at 850-521-1284. Your calendar of events begins at 8 a.m. when the Judicial Nominating Commission for the 2nd District Court of Appeals starts two days of online reviews and interviews of candidates to file openings created by the resignations of two judges. The 2nd District Court of Appeals hears cases from Polk County, the Tampa Bay Area, and Southwest Florida. At 9 o'clock, the Florida Board of Hearing Aid Specialists will meet in conference call. At 1, the Democratic Caucus in the Florida Senate holds an online news conference. They'll be talking about the state's surging number of COVID-19 cases. And finally today, the adventures of a Florida man who risked it all for true love and a pound of pot. A Florida man is busted after police say he tried to steal a plane from the municipal airport in New Smyrna Beach so he could fly to California and meet his girlfriend. Officers say 22-year-old Robert Steinstra also had more than a pound of pot in his duffel bag. They found him sitting in the front seat of a small plane. He bailed out of the emergency exit as soon as they started asking questions. Steinstra later told officers he was the manager of a medical marijuana dispensary and was transporting the pot to California. He's charged with grand theft, possession of paraphernalia, trespassing at an airport, possession of cannabis, and leaving the scene of a crash. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.